0: All want to be able to purchase um, from a credible source. And that's something that we can really offer that's different in agriculture.
1: Welcome back to the Wedgeworth Leadership Institute podcast. I'm Ann Schwartz, the new Leadership Programs Coordinator, and your host for this episode. In this episode, we caught up with University of Florida Associate Professor Dr. Lori Baker and she explained some of the best practices for selling agricultural products online. I think Lori's message goes along really well with our last episode of the podcast, which talked about how Sam S. Acrucio and Sons Farms in Homestead, Florida, has done an exceptional job at pivoting their business practices to sell produce direct to Florida consumers. So if you haven't had the chance to listen to our last episode, be sure to check it out. Lori has compiled a top 10 list of best practices for how you can begin selling your products online. Today, we will start out by hearing the first five items on her list. But before we dive into that, Lori, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a bit about what you do.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being on the WLI podcast. My name is Laurie Baker. I am a faculty member at the University of Florida within the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication with an affiliation with the PI Center, which is the Center for Public Issues Education in Agriculture and Natural Resources. Um, I'm also a part of another center, which is the Center for Rural Enterprise Engagement. We started uh, quite a few years ago in 2015. And at that time we were all at Kansas State University, but our faculty are now spread out across three institutions with me being at the University of Florida. And we also have an agricultural economist at the University of Minnesota. And we still have one of our founding members at Kansas State University. Um, We are a transdisciplinary multi-institutional thought center, and we work to generate knowledge in new media and online marketing and deliverables. We do a lot related to social media, and we do research in that area as well as training in that area, Um, approaching it from all of our different home disciplines, looking at horticulture and other agricultural products, communication, as well as the economic side of things. But why I've actually been invited to talk with you here today is to talk about the 10 best practices for leaders in selling agricultural products online. And this is something we've looked at through our Center for Rural Enterprise Engagement that we abbreviate as Cree quite a bit, um, because we had requests from stakeholders saying, hey, I'm trying to do this selling online thing, And I just don't know why it's not working. (laughs) I haven't figured out the logistics. I don't know what I should be doing or what people want. And because we regularly conduct research in the area of new media, we started thinking, well, what kind of research could we do to provide more than just general recommendations on what's working? So we've conducted some research in this area. We've also gathered a lot of different materials in this area. So the top 10 best practices that I'm gonna talk about here today are a part of our research with a mix of anecdotes from our stakeholders and what they've found successful. So I'll try to note which things came from our research and which things came um, from us helping producers navigate these online waters. So the very first best practice is storytelling. And this is something that has been talked about a lot anecdotally online in many areas, the value of telling your story. We talk about that a lot in agriculture. I think we're pretty good at telling our story to each other. Um, But one of the things that's fascinated um, myself and the other researchers with Cree is understanding what makes a difference in those stories. So are those stories actually being impactful on people making purchasing decisions? So we have some research that we're still in the process of analyzing right now, and we're releasing tidbits here and there and going to conferences as we um, develop a new piece of this. But we actually went through and tested four different lines of stories. So um, we had a family farm story narrative. We had a professional business narrative that incorporates what customers want with ease of shopping and that sort of thing. And then we had an environmental friendly narrative and a community engagement narrative, meaning they were giving back to the community in some way. And all of those stories um, resonated with different types of people. So I think one of the things that really comes back to this is your story does matter. And it's important as you're crafting those messages when you're selling online for what that story is, but it matters the most that it genuinely is your story and that it's the story that connects with the type of consumer you're interested in selling to. So some products may lend themselves more to a different audience than others. For example, if you were working in a niche market selling something like um, grass-fed beef, well, um, an environmentally friendly story might resonate really well with that type of audience because they're already interested in some of those environmentally conscious messages. Um, the family farm story was something that also resonated, again, depending on the um, on what the audience was interested on their own already. But that's likely a story that many of you have to tell. So not to say that it's not a great story, but as you're thinking about what makes your story unique or your story different, you really want to hone in on the market that you're selling to and who you think you can reach. So some of you may be in a position where you're selling online But your delivery area is still pretty local. And so you can pick up on some of those local food messages. Local food is one of the stronger narratives that's happening nationally. Um, We've kind of dug into some of that literature um, to see what messages are resonating with people on a larger scale. And local food continues to be really high. So that might be a message that you can also incorporate in your story if you're selling to a local market. Um, And maybe that local market is Florida and surrounding states. It doesn't have to mean just 50 miles from your farm or 100 miles from your farm, Um, but it can be depending on what works best for your story. Um, The professional business one tends to resonate with a lot of people um, because they want something safe and something secure. And I'll definitely talk about that in in the other best practices. Um, But trying to decide which things you're doing and which things that you can highlight. We've we've done a a survey related to those messages to see which of those stories was more impactful. The thing that I can for sure say is the most They were much more impactful than not having a story at all. So for sure, we can tell that having a story mattered and it made a difference in people's willingness to purchase a product. So they were interested in that story angle and wanted to connect with the people that they were purchasing products from. And as you're thinking about it, that might be a premium that people are willing to pay that's a little bit different than, than what's on the shelves right now. And I'll continue to probably pull back from one specific story um, because... When COVID-19 started, I struggled to get meat for my family in our local grocery stores, um, as I'm sure many of you did. Um, We could purchase steak. That was about all that we could purchase at every store. And we do love beef. We love steak. Um, But my three small children don't enjoy steak quite as much as my husband and I do. And we certainly weren't going to be able to eat it for every single meal. And so we had a person come a few years ago, I think it was in 2019, came to our Insight Summit, which was our one of our big Cree events each year where we teach people hands-on how to use social media strategy better from um, our family farms in Lebanon, Kansas. And they, they have um, all Berkshire pigs and they sell pork. Um, and they were just getting into online when she came to, um, our event, uh, a year and a half ago or so, but I thought of her cause I was getting her newsletter. I was paying attention to everything that she was doing. And so we went ahead and ordered for the first time and were able to get some great pork products. And, um, as I looked at all of her materials and as I evaluated them, she was doing such a good job of, of really telling their family farm story. And that story is very unique in that they really only have Berkshire hogs. So they tell a lot of history about Berkshire and why um, that is the right choice for their family and for their business. But that story is a little bit unique compared um, to some stories that I've seen where they have a cross section of a lot of different types of livestock and, and maybe they're also selling fruits and vegetables. And so for her, that was a really unique story and, and I've kind of followed that along the way and, I, and I've enjoyed that piece. So the second, best practice that I've selected is messaging. And this is another post that um, we have dug in and we've done some research related to messaging. Um, Messages tend to be a little shorter. So when I say storytelling, um, that's the longer piece that, that has the details about your business and your history and how you approach selling whether that's online or whether that's in person, both. Um, but messaging is a little more succinct. And so um, we conducted some research last year, looking at which types of messages resonated more with people. And we looked at at three different ones. We looked at educational messages, promotional messages, and lifestyle messages. So education had something related um, to educating the consumer either on how to use the product or what the product was like. And promotional messages were something that was like, come in, we're having a sale or buy two, get one free, something like that. And lifestyle messages were those that were just in general promoting the lifestyle of the business um, or interesting um, angle of the employees there or the family there or something like that. Um, And the thing that we really found in those messages is that those promotional messages often resonated more um, with the consumers in our study than the educational and the lifestyle messages did. So we found this fascinating because early on in our research, when we first started working with garden centers at that time, they were telling us, well, we use Facebook and, and we have any newsletter and these things. But we really feel like we're not being asked to sell on those platforms, that on those platforms, we're just supposed to educate and we're just supposed to provide this kind of lifestyle interest perspective. Well, what we were finding, even in that early research, is when we talked to their consumers or their customers, they were saying, you know what, I know they're a business, I'm following them on Facebook or I'm following them on Instagram or I'm getting their newsletter because I expect there to be promotions associated with it. So when I kind of weave through this, our family farms case study, um, when I got her package um, from our family farms and it's her and her husband, but she's the contact that I know there, um, there was a little insert that had some details about their farm and the story associated with it. But she'd handwritten on the front um, a note to me saying thank you i just really appreciate this um, from somebody who's taught me so much and and i didn't even know that she would know that it, it was me necessarily um, and that we had this personal connection but that meant something to me certainly that she took the time to do that and within that she wrote a little promotional code for me and said i could use it on my next purchase and and, and since then we've been regularly purchasing meat products from them um, but i think it's that type of personal touch in the messaging, that it was a promotional message that she added to that. Um, But it was more than that. It added a perspective of their farm um, and some interest um, to connect with me personally. So the number three of the best practices that I have here is credibility. And I think this goes without saying is we all want to be able to purchase um, from a credible source. And that's something that we can really offer that's different um, in agriculture is we not only have a story, we have a local-based story of some kind. We're here within the United States in a time when, it's a little scary to be purchasing from other countries um, with so many uncertainties going around. We have not conducted research of our own on credibility specifically, because this is something that has been investigated time and time again in the literature so um, many researchers over a long period of time ever since online selling kind of began um, in the early 90s have looked at at credibility so people expect it to be safe they expect it to be secure they don't want to feel like they're entering their credit card number in in a website that's a little bit questionable so that goes back to a, a lot of things related to design and we have done some research related to people selling through their own platforms and what that can look like, this might mean an opportunity for you um, to upgrade your website to make sure that you have the correct plugins and the correct information that people know they're purchasing from a secure site. I think we also have the opportunity um, to lead that into my number four best practice, which is reviews and testimonials. So over and over again, we, we hear the value of reviews, we see the value of reviews. Um, in fact, research recently that, that wasn't conducted by us actually um, indicated that 94% of online consumers are reading reviews before they're making online purchases. So finding a way to develop those reviews, to ask for those testimonials will be important. Um, we have conducted some of our own research looking at, um, we looked at those that were selling plants online a few years ago, and we have a published article on that. And then our current data collection is looking at those big, um, big um, companies that are selling on Amazon plants specifically. Um, And there's about six rather large businesses that are doing that. And we're still running some of that data. But our hope has been to be able to interpret that data for the smaller people to see what's working on Amazon and what's not. Um, In our practices, we've visited with some people who have said, yeah, we're selling on Amazon, but we don't think we're doing it right. (laughs) And we've had some bad reviews and we don't know how to recover from that and some things like that. So we broke it down to investigate some of the things that they were doing. And, and we've, we've looked at about 20 different variables, but for today, I will just highlight the ones that really correlated with um, an increase in the number of stars for a business on Amazon. And those that correlated with that were the total number of reviews. So getting your number of reviews up helps. Um, Also those that offered value-added options, multiple size containers, and multiple colors. So in this instance, we were talking about plants, but I think sometimes a a small retailer, a small ag business may say, oh, wow, well, that means that maybe I have to have a lot of additional things and maybe I don't have enough products to sell in an online environment. And I think on the surface, maybe it says that and you might be feeling that. But the truth is, even these really large businesses who have been extremely successful offline, the choices that they were making to sell through Amazon plants were very specific and very niche. So they may have had a plant that they offered with some value added options, meaning something like a fancier pot or or coming in a a package of some kind with multiple different options. And maybe they had options of multiple containers and multiple colors, but they weren't selling that many individual items. So even these large businesses were making decisions to really specialize and focus on one thing. So again back to my example of the R family farms, they're specializing in in pork, not just pork, in this case Berkshire um, pork raised on their farm and and that weaves into their storytelling and their messaging and their credibility and it's certainly relays into their reviews and their testimonials. Um, So they've pulled some examples on their website from those things. um, And they've had people share that information. Of course, being in my position after we received um, our first shipment, I went and wrote them a Google review. And I noticed there were other people had done the same. And I think um, one of the critiques that I'm going to get back to Emily, but I haven't done that yet from our family farms is nowhere in her materials. Did she ask me To write a review, Um, I did it because I knew that was what was supposed to be done and that that would help her and her farm. Um, But that's certainly something you can ask of your current consumers that you're selling to. Whether you're already selling online or not, you can ask people to review your products online. And then others can look and see, oh, yes, this is a real person who has evaluated this business and believes in it and has purchased their product before. So even a really small business who isn't online yet can start to generate some of those reviews and some of those testimonials in preparation to sell online. So the fifth one is, is a little more technical, just looking at photos. Um, photos really do make a difference in people's purchasing decisions. We've seen that over time in a lot of advertising literature. Um, as I mentioned, our Amazon plant study, we actually um, looked at that related to plants because we thought, well, a lot of this has been Um, conducted in wearables. Um, You know, people have said, or researchers have looked at the value of selling something like a scarf, and people were more willing to purchase that scarf if somebody was wearing the scarf, rather than just the scarf by itself. And so we kind of took that same concept and, and pulled it into um into both um plants in a garden center setting, um, apples at a U-pick operation, and we also looked at um bell peppers um, within a farmer's market setting. And we had different images related to whether that product was in the business itself, whether it was a close up of the product or whether it had people within the image as well and and what we found is that people were more likely to engage with the post in this case it was related to facebook posts people were more willing to engage with those facebook posts if there were people in it so when i say engagement uh, there's a formula associated with it but basically meaning are people more likely to comment are they more likely to like it are they more likely to share it or heart it or retweet it depending on the platform and people were much more likely to do that with the, the images that had the product with people in them. And so um, we have found that it does matter for engagement. Um, people were less likely to pay attention to the message in those posts, though. Um, So one of the things that we really recommend in a whole mix is probably increasing the number of photos you have available of your product. So they're interested in seeing that person with that product, whether they're eating it or or chopping it in our pepper example that. The people in that image were chopping the pepper. We had a girl eating the apple, um, that sort of thing. Um, But they also want to see that quality, remember? So, a a close up of the product, um, people were more interested in engaging in that. And when that was paired with a promotional message, they were more likely to look at that promotional message, um, which certainly indicates they're engaging with it in a different way. So, anytime you can have additional photos of your product that are high quality that show your product in use um, for something like a plant people might not know what to do with it Um, i guess they know they're supposed to plant it but they might not know where they're supposed to plant it or is it something that would go in a landscape or is it something that would go in a pot and be more appropriate for a gift or an indoor plant or something like that so thinking about your product and how people might engage with it and getting photos of all those different scenarios, allow people to see more opportunities with your product and to know how they might be able to implement it in their lives.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lori. I think we've reached a good stopping point. So we'll end for now after hearing the first five items from the top 10 best practices for selling agricultural products online. We'll hear the final five points from Lori in the next episode of the podcast. But if you want to learn more, be sure to check out Cree. That's the Center for Rural Enterprise Engagement online at ruralengagement.org. There you can find blog posts with more specifics related to online selling and many other resources for agricultural businesses. There's also a link to Cree's e-commerce guidance blog post in the show notes of this episode. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of the Wedgeworth Leadership Institute podcast. The Wedgeworth Leadership Institute for Agriculture and Natural Resources is a University of Florida Institute for Food and Agricultural Sciences extension program.